Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I'm your host. And today might just be my favorite episode to date. Web Beats, Web the Free Range Human, or Gabe Morley, however you know him. He's one of my best friends, and we have gone through so much shit together, good and bad. We're going to lay it all out there today. We're going to talk about his doom metal band, Yob, that's blown up to be internationally known at this point we're going to talk about our work together as well as his new project dusted temple and the highs and lows and how we rebuilt our friendship from the point of no return so this is gabe morley it's so weird that we used to see each other every single day i mean the first like probably at least four years that we knew each other if not longer yeah and then since you moved now we only talk by texting and so it's actually weird to have a real conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't talk to really anyone on on the phone anymore. Yeah, so I don't really either. That's what happens when you get older. Once in a blue moon, if uh, if there's a crisis, you gotta call <laughs> call somebody. Right. That's that's usually how it is with 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 me. If if, if I actually call, this probably means there's something going on. I remember I called you. I don't remember what it was about, and you're like. Oh shit, is everything okay? I was like, yeah, no, it's good news this time. Yeah. Man, last night I was looking, just doing a mental inventory before we started. And uh-huh. I think, not counting like the singles and and stuff, but like albums and EPs, I think we've done 13 records together so far. What? Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about it because... We got, um, well, maybe we'll go into these in a little bit of detail, but just to rattle them off, I was thinking 99 years, sleep rocking, ill is all, and this is where it gets a little tricky, because in that middle period, we had like Death Proof, Blowing Up the Bandwagon, Stolen Songs 2, The Split, Asshole Extraordinaire, Death of a Salesman, Reintroducing. Yeah. I forgot reintroducing. That's ten yeah. right there. Um, fake, vacant eyes. Figures of speech. Break the bank. Break the bank. Oh yeah, I didn't even put that one. So that's thirteen, plus um, whatever else I'm forgetting, and and the one we're working on now. So that yeah. Damn. Wait, did I? I didn't on counterclockwise. Oh yeah, counterclockwise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's probably crazy. More, it's probably more like fifteen then. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, I knew we had done a lot of stuff, but I didn't realize like sitting down counting. That's crazy. Like name any other two people who did fifteen albums together. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. That's pretty crazy. That's that's impressive, uh, and I think I mean you're the one that got me to play drums again after. After all the other stuff, where I was like, I'm never playing again. Well, yeah, I think that was the best thing about when we we started. We were both like, you know, um, <laughs> we had both gone through band breakups, and we were kind of over, you know, doing the whole like, you know, pushing a group along and doing all that shit. And we were both just like wanting to make music just for fun because we loved it and not even necessarily to release it even um right you know i think that was kind of the key to us kicking this whole thing off definitely was i mean 
that was my saving grace was being able to have that, you know, make beats after playing drums in metal bands, you know. It was nice to have something to turn to and then build it into something, you know. Are you sick? You're, like, sniff, sniffing a lot. <laughs> I am. I just got another cold God this damn. <laughs> so I found that uh, when I was, when I used to live in Corvallis around this area when I was a kid, I was, like, super sickly. And then I moved back. I was like, oh, yeah, it's just the area. Weird. So, yeah, I got my allergies back, get colds. I mean, it's been raining for, like, five days straight here, so. Damn. But, yeah, I'm not doing drugs or anything. I'm not, you know, <laughs> sniffing coke. <laughs> I, I guess maybe you could say that for people listening, but I, that wouldn't have never even occurred to me that you were doing that. No, I, I know. But, yes, I am sick. So, Usually, you know, on the show we go we go way back. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that your shit sounds the way that it does, and all the qualities I love about it, is because, as you say it, you've been listening to hip hop since. Uh, I think it was eighty two. Eighty two. So would have been okay. Yeah, so I would have been uh, nine years old. So it was like it was the typical story of. You know, like my my stepdad had this huge collection of records, and then he had a friend that was a was a collector, so he would have just cases of blank tapes filled with albums that the guy would you know put on tapes for him. And one day I grabbed one, <laughs> like before I go to work, or not not go to work to, to go to school <laughs> or whatever. Um, I worked in a coal you know, mine. Just like, like even when I was nine, like every day I'm like, oh, I'm gonna listen to a new album. So it's just one of those things. Stick it in my Walkman. First thing that comes on, Rapper's Delight. Nice. And then after that was like uh, that Malcolm McLaren, Buffalo Girls Go Round and Round, Round and Round, you know? And that shit, just that entire day, that's all I could listen to. And then from there, it just opened the floodgates, you know? I mean, what, hip-hop started in 73, Right, something like that. I think that's the year. So that's the year I was born. But yeah, it's been interesting. So I've literally seen it go from seeing Run DMC on MTV, dude. I remember watching the first day of MTV. Damn. Like the day it came on the air. <laughs> and then like, you know, seeing Run DMC for the first time, like King of Rock, you know. That's crazy um, to think about that. I mean, because we're so inundated with it now but like even before uh social media there was still a little bit of like i don't know what the guys in this band look like you know right. like the album art is just all pictures of you know it's like it's like drawings or something like i don't know what the band looks like you know or like yeah. when i was a kid like no effects would put pictures of other people with their names under them. I was like, does a drummer from no effects really look like your uncle? Like that doesn't make sense, you know? Um, yeah. and, and so there was a little bit of mystery about it, but even then there was still like a lot of music videos on MTV, but like, you're talking about a time when like you would hear, you know, run DMC or somebody and not even know what they looked like. Right. There, I mean, you, if you could hear it, like that's the thing is when it's, when it started, like, yeah, run DMC was on, eventually was on MTV, but like, you gotta think at that time, there really wasn't a lot of artists out in general. Yeah. It's not like it is today where 
you turn on the TV and you, you hear the funky drummer break. You, you hear like everything's kind of hip hop, you know, like it's yeah. got sub bass to it or you know, yeah. something like that. I remember when I started hearing uh, or like seeing TV commercials that had like trap hi hats in it and shit. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> right. It's like I can't like, escape it. <laughs> the times they are changing. Seriously. Yeah. But it's in so, um, like when, like if you look back at Beat Street or Breakin', like those movies, like you, you look at them now, they're so dated. Yeah. And they're so exaggerated. But you got to think, at that time, for someone like me, being like, whatever, maybe even preteen when that came out, like seeing Ice T for the first time on the big screen, that shit changes your life, dude, you know? Because there's never anything like that. It's like something new and fresh you don't know what it is but it's special and it's like for you you know what was that what was that movie that um what was the movie that like run dmc and the beastie boys were in and like it was like a def jam movie what was that one called uh crush groove crush groove yeah yeah i remember i i I had that dubbed on vhs when i was in middle school (laughs) i used to buy those uh ktel collections that would have like you know the hip hop hits of today. So it's got like Houdini and Cool Modi, you know, all that old school shit. So there's also you have to think at the time when I started listening to it as a white person. <laughs> when hip hop came out, I only saw it as something that I would enjoy from the outside looking in. Yeah, like it was. It wasn't something that you felt you had a part of, even though you had a connection to it, you know, and it wasn't because like, Oh, that's, that's a black thing. I don't know. There wasn't, it just was that way. It was like, I mean, it's got to feel uh, pretty far removed. If all this shit's coming out of New York city and you're a little, right. you're a little kid out here on the West coast, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you know, you don't even know how they do this stuff. And it's, you know, another interesting thing that I've always liked that um, I realized at a later age about hip hop is that a really cool thing about it is musically, like just in general, you have people that really don't have any musical training whatsoever creating music. Yeah. And so you have this weird thing. But yeah, anyways, yeah, 82. I know I'm kind of going off on tangents here. No, this is great. This is exactly what I wanted. (laughs) But, um, so yeah, I mean, there was that time and, um, you know, event, and there was even a time when everyone was like, this is just a passing fade, like, or or fad, you know, this is not going to last. And, you know, here we are, what, well, I guess 45 years later, realistically, (laughs) (laughs) as old as I am. And I've seen it go through, I mean, it's a, it's a cool generation you know, Generation X, because we've got to be pre-cell phone, pre-internet. We got to see video games go from Pong to virtual reality. We got to see hip-hop go from just extending breaks to where it's at now, you know? Getting sued over one second of music. (laughs) Yes. So it's been cool to see it um, evolve and, like, uh, mutate and then fix itself. <laughs> it's been my lifelong passion, even though I've 
you know, I was a metal drummer and been in punk bands and stuff. Like my heart was always like hip hop. So were, then, were you playing drums at the point that you came across Rapper's Delight? I, it, dude, nine was just a crazy year for me. Like I discovered hip hop. Then that same year, we're taking a road trip and my stepdad plays, oh, what was it? It was uh, Genesis, Boxtrot, and then like Rush, Farewell to Kings. And there was some Zeppelin album. And it was one of those things where I just had this other epiphany of like, holy shit, like, I need to play drums. You know, so like, when I started, because of Phil Collins, so at that same time, I'm like, getting into hip-hop, I want to break dance, you know, I want to do all that stuff, but then at the same time, I want to play drums, too. This explains so much about your playing style, just by the way, just like, everything having to do with you know, the rhythmic elements of these different genres all at one time. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm learning to play, so I got a drum set for Christmas. The song's nice. So it was like a little toy kit. But then that uh, summer that I turned 10, I went, uh, I had my mom take me every day during the summer to go pick strawberries so I could <clears throat> make enough money to buy a drum kit that my sister's boyfriend's best friend was selling. <laughs> so eventually I got that kit. It was like $150, like this red sparkle four-piece pearl drum set with, uh, you know, cymbals that would bend. Like I'd have to bend them back. <laughs> I feel like so, everyone's first drum kit is like a beat-up pearl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you know, you gotta get something. It's like, uh, usually you got your crappy cymbals. You got like one cymbal hi-hats so when i got my first kit like when i'm learning to play the very first thing i ever put on with headphones when i had my drum set was the the cars first album because mm. i was like all right it's all simple rock fills you know boom 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 you know do 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 all that stuff simple rock beats and then at the same time throw on king of rock play along to that you know nice play along to you know the run dmc there wasn't much to play along to but and i would continue that so that's kind of how i learned like i got into prog rock and and hip-hop at the same time and uh then metal like you know a little later when i was in my teens so well in your first it's a weird mix you're for sure am i am i correct that your first band was kind of an amalgam of those styles too like wasn't Lightweight your first band? Yeah, Lightweight was my first legitimate band. And um, they they were in, uh, an instrumental band when I first joined. And uh, yeah, they were this mix of kind of everything. I mean, we could have, you know, we had the weird time signatures. We had the rap, punk, metal, you know, all of it just kind of mixed in. It's definitely a fun band. So, what time period was that? Lightweight would have been fuck, like mid, like ninety four ish. I'm thinking ninety five ish. Yeah, that was a rad band. Like we took off once we got uh, like I met this guy Roddy. Like we wanted to find a singer, and uh, 
I was at a weapon of choice show and they had a thing where they had guys get up to freestyle and this guy gets up and he's singing and he's rapping and he's, you know, yelling and metal screams. And it's like, Oh my God, that's the dude. Within a week we were in the studio Damn. and we were, <laughs> we were recording dude. Literally we're in recording our, our tracks and he's in there writing, you know, verses and choruses and backups and uh you know it was incredible so then started doing shows and it took off like really really quick uh we would play at clubs in portland and club owners would just be like oh my god we have to have you guys back here like i can't believe it so incredible um and we started open for a lot of people. Eventually, uh, Stone Gossard, you know, he had that label Loose Groove back in the day. <clears throat> we started talking with them. And uh, and then our guitarist got a wild hair up, of that, up his ass and was like, I'm going to move to L.A. and make it. And wow. I was like, wait, we're, we're doing that right now. Like, yeah. you know. So he bailed. So it was kind of a short-lived group, but at that time, there was another group from Roseburg that was like the rival to Lightweight. Um, they were called Pomwela. So I started playing with both those bands, and then eventually, after Lightweight fell apart, I just went with Pomwela. That never went anywhere. <laughs> yeah, We just loved to play. Like We would just get together in the basement and literally play for like eight hours. Jesus. Just jam, uh, you know, write song, we jam, we'd record anything on cassette, then afterwards we'd hang out, we'd listen, we'd pick through, we'd find stuff, we'd write songs, you know, we played a few shows, No, people just look like deers caught in the headlights whenever we would play, um, and uh, so yeah, I don't know where I'm going, I'm tangenting off, I kind of feel with this. Well, no, I, I just, I mean... This is stuff that we've like glossed over, but I I don't really know a, a ton about. And um, you know, I, I heard no. bits of lightweight, and you know, it was like Roddy's crazy ass energy, and and um, yeah. you know, there's not a lot of that music being made at that time. You know, that's like way before most of the you know cross pollination rock rap stuff really happened. I mean, you you yeah. you have I the mean, Run DMC and the Beastie Boys, and you know, Rage had been out at that point, but there's there wasn't a lot. No, I mean, definitely the, you know, that whole kind of new metal scene was starting to kick off and we were kind of getting lumped in with that, you know, where people would be like, oh, I like you guys, you guys are like Rage Against the Machine, and you're like, I think Limp Biscuit's first album was probably at some point coming out, and uh, we didn't necessarily like that. I mean, yes, there were elements of that because we were crossing over, you know, like, at that time, like... We loved rap. We were listening to like Meshuga, Candiria, all this weird technical metal, and then, you know, classic hip hop. So it was a weird mixture of, of things. And having Roddy, I mean, I just got to talk about him because yeah. he was, you know, he was my, he, he became my best friend like quickly. You know, he's the guy that <laughs> when we met, it's like, have you ever heard Freestyle Fellowship? Like, no. And he's like, well, here you go. Puts in Inner City Griot. And I'm just like, what? And dude's like rapping every line off the record. I'm just like going, what is with this guy? And, uh, but he was, um, 
talented singer that I've ever personally worked with. Like he could, he could bust out like Marvin Gaye, and then he could do Bad Brains, and then he could just do like a hardcore song, you know, just. <laughs> and it was always perfect. And he was a bass player. He actually was the original bass player. This is kind of jumping ahead a bit, but I'll just reference it real quick. But he was the original bass player when me and Mike Scheidt first started playing together. Oh, really? So, yeah, he was that good. And, um, you know, after Lightweight, he was a big part of the um, the Greenhouse Effect. I don't know if you remember that crew in Eugene back in the day. No, I was it too, was like, too uh, God damn it. Greenhouse Effect was, you know, Kenny, Short Round, yeah. Uh, Nami, who passed away also. Um, it was kind of like all the the guys that are like the older heads in town, you know. It's like that was the crew back then. He was a big part of that. Um, but at the same time, he struggled with drug use through all of that. So that's kind of his unfortunate demise, which he ended up passing away the same year that Mikey passed away. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, rem- um, I remember that because we had. Um, uh, I remember you were dealing with that um, when we were making Death Proof, and we ended up dedicating the record to him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was one of those guys that was just like so freakishly talented, but just couldn't be held down. You know, like he was he was Kenyatta. You know, like. <laughs> He was this uh, this guy. I don't know. He was just a presence, you know. Like when he was around, like he, he his shit filled the room, you know. Like when he was on stage, everyone was like watching this guy. Um, dude, great moment. <laughs> we uh, some of our funny gigs in lightweight. We ended up playing. Do you remember there was that really bad bar out in Springfield? I forget what it was called, but. We had played there and basically had to be escorted out after our set because we ended up playing. Uh, it, it was a racist crowd, is what I'm trying to, to yeah, say. So yeah. you got Roddy, you know, nose ring. I always said he's blacker than the New York Harlem Renaissance, <laughs> and you know, dreads just looks the, the fucking part. And so he's like, "Oh, hey, let's play those Dr. Dre covers." So we we played Kitty with a Gun. Yeah, which by the way, and, uh, if anyone hasn't been following me, I I don't use the N word and I don't use cute little substitutes like ninja or whatever. Uh, yeah, I, we we use the word Kitty because we love cats and it it sounds nothing like the word. So when we're rapping along to the Dr. Dre song or whatever, that that's what we say anyway. So yeah, yeah. so you play Kitty yeah. with a Gun. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we played uh, Kitty with the Gun in the day the Kitties took over, <laughs> and it kind of caused a bit of a a reaction in the crowd, and we got kicked out by the owners. And people were trying to like, yeah, it was it was fun, but we were that type of band, I mean, kind of the way you know we were in the Illusionists. Like, yeah, like yeah, like fuck you guys. I don't know. So I, yeah, okay, I, Roddy. Roddy was a was a huge, huge part of uh, you know my musical history. It sucks he's gone, but 
you know. And it sucks, dude, when I lost my last laptop, the only surviving digital copy I have of Lightweight and Palm Whaler, I think, was on that laptop. Oh, fuck. I might have a hard disk of it, because we did do Lightweight recorded a demo. Um, then Palm Whaler, we had a demo that we did. Uh, so, yeah, it's... Hopefully, I I think I still have a physical disc because I'd like to, you know, still hear that, hear me drumming back in the day. Yeah. So. So. But, um, I mean. Yeah. When did you When did you guys start Yob? So, Yob would have. I mean, me and Mike. I was working at the Record Garden, and uh, we would always come in. It was when he had the, the babies, you know, he had to come in with the twin stroller and we just talked. So I'm thinking 97 is probably when we first started like talking and getting together, you know, jam a couple times to see where it goes. Um, and then I think really in like 99 is when we, um, kind of jumped in you know because we were doing originally we were getting together he had some a couple songs we were doing some covers like sleep dragon knot and some other things roddy was playing bass it was around that time also like when in the late 90s uh i was kind of having my first signs of mental health things you know oh really uh, yeah i mean just you know where it was like starting to become an issue because when yob started so what around 98 we start playing more 99 we're like all right uh 98 99 we're like all right let's do this i start flaking on practices um because i'm starting to experience mental health issues where i'm like paranoia anxiety stuff kicking in and then i get a call from mike where he's like hey I'm going to get Greg to record drums on the demo and the position is still open for you if you want to do it, but you need to get your shit together. So it's kind of one of those wake up calls where I'm like, Oh shit. So, um, you know, I kind of got my shit together and then we started playing more. We found our bass player, Lowell. So, I think that's the right timeline. I think in 98 is when we really started. Because, uh, I mean, we record, we had our first album done in 2000. Yeah. So, um, both, both the first two albums got pushed back almost a year. So I'm thinking the timeline's right. I mean, and Yob is such so, a big thing now. What, I mean, what were those early shows like? Where were you guys playing so, and stuff? Yeah, dude. It's crazy. So our very first show ever was here in Corvallis at, uh, I think it, I think it was called uncle Hungry's bookstore. And, uh, it's now a, it's now a dispensary, but it's like this little, it was like a little alternative bookstore. And, uh, we played some gig. So, I mean, you know, we started out, we were just like any other band, you know, like people didn't get us. People didn't know who, who we were. Like, who is this? louder than fuck band playing like 20 minute songs yeah um but uh so i mean we were doing just small we would do a lot of basement shows uh 
back in the day, like it was Samurai Duck. Oh yeah. Uh, Animal Farm. Uh, Animal Farm, I think, was our second show. That's awesome. Um, so God, I can't. I couldn't imagine having to take Yob in the Animal Farm basement. Dude. Could you imagine that? <laughs> I mean, I, standing. <laughs> I played so many shows there in high school. I mean, that was kind of that was kind of my stomping ground too. Um, yeah, I, that 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 fucker got loud fast. Oh man, I love that place. You'd like uh, try to load in gear, like, oh wait, hold on, we got to clean up the dog shit first, and then you go <laughs> down. There's little wet spots all over the basement floor. <laughs> <laughs> We were there one time, and the uh, there was like a plumbing problem, and so they're like, "Oh, nobody go over in that corner because the shitter's leaking through the floor or like through the ceiling," you know, and uh, <laughs> and it was like July or something, so it just smells like a porta potty on a summer day. <laughs> yeah, it it was nasty, and there was a place over on over in Santa Clara, um, Lacey Soul. Lacey Soul. Wow. Dude, so yeah. we're, we're playing the same places at damn near the same times. Because from like 2001 oh, yeah. uh, is when I was playing both of those venues. Yeah, that's that's when we were, I mean, taking off, uh, you know, doing, you know, playing all around town. We would play. That's funny. Yeah, and, and I think we had figured that out, too, when we started working at, at Guitar Center together. We were like, wait, we've been like in the scene just in two subsections of, of the scene, like existing yeah. together is really weird. Um, and then, you know, uh, I started playing. So I started playing a monkey torture too. When I was in Yob. that would have been after, after the first album, I was just kind of bored. Cause like, you know, things weren't really taken off. So I'm like, Oh, I see that uh, Monkey Torture had put up an ad for a drummer. So I'm like, fuck it. I called him up. I want to play. And then I had to, you know, I did that for a while. And I still don't remember. Uh, I know we had this epiphany at one point that we played a show together because I used to throw shows at my high school. And you... It was that? Yeah, you yes. you told a story about, about playing with us. And I was like, I have no... Like, wait, you're the... No, you're not that guy. Wait, when did you play with Monkey... Like, because we played so much with Monkey Torture, but I I didn't remember uh, any specific thing about that show at all. Yeah, that's that's my existence in Monkey Torture. There's, there's like, no pictures. Um, I think there might... There used to be a video um, from a show I did with them at the WoW Hall. It's not really documented, and I was only in there for, I think three months or something because then oh wow that's when we got signed to do the catharsis album but yeah the early days you know it was just typical and we just just the slow build you know we start playing here you know cool bands come through at the animal farm samurai you know next thing you know we're playing with electric wizard at satiricon in portland you know it was just that thing of like every show you, you would see the fan base grow, you know, and it started out like, Oh, friends. And then it's like, it grows to like, like, who are these people? And, you know, and I remember we played a show at Satyricon and it was sold out. I remember throwing up while I was playing. I was thinking <laughs> about that. Show. <laughs> Why? I was, I was really nervous. I don't remember who we were playing with, but 
I I had a drink, which I would never do before shows. Like, I would never drink before shows. Which I know that about you. And I did, and we started playing, and I just overexerted myself right off the bat. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh my God, I'm playing. I turn my head, and I just throw up, <laughs> look up. No one noticed. I throw up again. <laughs> Keep playing, never miss a beat, and just like finish the show. And it's like, man, I feel bad for the next guy. But, You're still playing in time, just hurling over your shoulder. Oh, dude, yeah, I didn't even miss a beat. <laughs> That's amazing. So yeah, I mean, uh, the first album, you know, we had everything done. It was just like this, this guy. I think it was the guy that was doing that amp company, making green amps or whatever. Um. But anyways, it was a, you know, we had, it was like a handshake deal, you know, like a 50-50 deal, which in the long run, we got fucked, you know? Yeah. And and then, uh, and then... I mean, you so, got, yeah, there's no way you would have known that it was going to blow up the way it did. Well, no, and, you know, it also, things got held back a bit, which was frustrating back then, too, was that... Um, things were trying there was like this resistance that was happening uh that weird that was frustrating to me you know how it is usually by the time people hear the album you're working on you've moved on to the next thing yeah yeah so i start getting frustrated that i you know i'm still playing the same stuff and uh i want to do more and then um and then the universe decides to step in and stop me. That's when I got in that car accident. So that would have been like, I think 2000, something like that. Yeah. 2001. Did you have um, to stop playing for a while? Well, yeah, dude. I was on my way to band practice. And uh, <clears throat> long story short, this lady ends up T-boning my car on the driver's side. Like, destroys my car. I end up... It takes me 10 months to recover from it. Jesus. So, yeah. I mean, I was told, you know, my doctor's like, you can't play drums for until I give you clearance. We're talking right as the writing arsis was, was starting. I had to just go to practice and sit there and just listen to them work on stuff. Oh, man. And so... That's kind of where the mental health stuff, you know, like things were picking up. We had been offered like this small tour, a little doom metal festival. And uh, this was later. So it's like, you know, I, I was able to recover, record the album, um, play some shows. And then uh, through that time after my mental health just like started slipping and that's pretty like bad that's like during catharsis yeah yeah so it's like i think i don't even know if the album was even out yet uh it recorded it was done so we just paid for everything ourselves uh you did that at dogwood right yeah yeah we did it at dogwood that place i missed that place i remember seeing your guy's name on the wall because we also recorded there uh in <laughs> in like 2000 and yeah, your name was written on the wall. Yeah, that's the oh man, such a good place. I think yeah, we recorded both our albums there. So that 
that car accident, um, you know, it was it was frustrating because I I I knew from the time from the car accident like something was happening to me, and at the same time, shit's happening to Yob that's taken off. So I'm starting to realize that if this continues to progress in this way, something's gonna happen. You yeah. know, and uh, you know, and then with my mental and you've experienced this, like this paranoia kicks in, this uh, anxiety. It's I have a whole mixed bag of issues, but um, started finding excuses to be combative with Mike stuff like that and we had that tour coming up and, and I knew that if I went on that tour that shit was not going to be good yeah. you know and I was like the last place I want things to like really fall apart would be out on the road surrounded by you know strangers or whatever so um, I think it was 2002 2003 is when <clears throat> me and Mike finally had our, our blow up. Um, you know, he had written me this letter after we got signed for catharsis, which was, I, I took it like reading it later. I kind of got where he was coming from, but at the time getting a letter that's basically telling you like, even though yes, me and you started this thing, this is my thing. And you were a part of my thing. Yeah. And I was like, what? So that's, I mean, that's kind of where our break started, you know, where I was like, fuck you. You know, I'm not a fucking side man. And uh, I didn't do it in the right way. Like I knew, like, I can't go on this tour. So in in my head, I'm like, I'm just going to tell Mike I can't do it. I got to quit. But in reality, you've seen horrible Gabe, you know, I turned it into this thing and it ruined our friendship for seven years. Dude, yeah. We didn't talk. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's kind of a weird condensed history. Like I'm back and it was like such a huge part of my life that still impacts me daily. Yeah. But in reality, it was like such a, in the band's history, it was like, just a fraction of of time, you know. But um, I'm super proud of what I did in that group. You know, the first album uh, would be one that we would love to be able to just remix and remaster yeah. from the original tapes. But you know, we have an asshole that has our master tapes that uh, doesn't want to play fair. He likes to be an asshole. That's and, nice. um and then with Catharsis, uh, I was telling you that I get royalty checks from that. Yeah, because you guys did the, the reissue a while back. Yeah, so when we originally got signed, I think it was Candlelight Records, something like that, some European label. And then that label went under, and they sold our contract to another label without us knowing about it. So, like, we never saw any accounting or anything for Catharsis ever until when it was getting close to the time for the 10th anniversary of it, labels were starting to hit up Mike saying, hey, we'd love to reissue this. And uh, some people had tried contacting the guy that supposedly owned our masters, and he was like, 
giving some outrageous price. Like, yeah, you can you can have the master tapes for you know seventy five thousand oh. dollars. You know, it was some crazy price. So eventually, some lawyer was like, "Hey, let me look into it," and come to find out that there was like a clause in the contract that was like after however many years we own our masters again. Oh shit. So yeah. So Mike was like, sweet, give me my fucking masters. And, uh, then, yeah. So then, uh, relapse ended up reissuing it on vinyl. And I think it was profound lore released it on CD and that's awesome because Relapse was one of the first labels that showed any interest in Yob. But um, we split the office, I guess. Like, half of the office is like, these guys are great. The other half is like, fuck this. But um, in the long run, ended up on Relapse. So that was like one of my cool things in life, being a metalhead, was to end up on Relapse by default. Yeah, it's but, a cool um, full circle moment. Yeah, it was a weird thing, you know, and then after I left Yob, you know, Yob, um, you know, when I left, this is right at the beginning of the Metal Blade taking interest, and uh, so for years, you know, nice people in the community would be like, so do you regret leaving, you know, because <laughs> they're on Metal Blade? I'm like, no. You're like, I didn't quit because I didn't like it, you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, no, I quit I could be standing here talking to you about it, and so they could continue on to do what they were doing, you know? Yeah. Like, me and Mike are 100% homies now, but at that time, he was difficult because after I left, you know, a few years later, the drummer that replaced me and the bass player both quit for the reasons that I quit because they were like, wait, we're not like hired side me. So all of us learned a lot about ourselves and each other through that situation. Cause you know, it took me and Mike seven years to even <laughs> say a word to each other. Well, and I know? was, I was really glad when you guys were able to, to talk again and, and rekindle that. Yeah. I mean, he, he's one of those people. Um, I've been really blessed with, musicians I've played with, he's one of those people that, like, I could go in a room, we could turn off the lights, and me and him could just improv jam and go all the same places together, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a weird thing. Um, that was kind of a long-winded... Uh, no, that was great. I mean, this is all the stuff I, I wanted to get into. Yeah, I mean, there's some really great moments, you know? Like, I got to meet a lot of great people. I got to see them, you know, like... I got to go see them open for Tool at Matthew Knight Arena, which was mind-blowing, because I'm thinking, goddamn, first shows at Uncle Hungry's in Corvallis, and here I am sitting at Matthew Knight Arena, like, watching Mike play. So, yeah, it was awesome. And, uh, you know, like, when you're in something that's important to other people, you never get to experience that. Um, like... Like, you don't get to sit, like, if you're playing in Yob, you don't get to sit and watch Yob. Yeah. So, you're you're not on the other end. And uh, it was really cool, once we became friends, to go back and, like, go, oh, shit, okay, I get it. <laughs> like, 
this is what people are feeling. Nice. Um, and yeah, just be good friends. I mean, now, fuck, it's nice. Get a nice little royalty check maybe once or twice a year. It's not much, but... But still, yeah. man, that's that's great, and uh, it shows that the music endures, and and you know, I'm glad that I mean, Mike's out there on the road doing it right now. You know, it's awesome. Yeah, they're, they're, he always tells me he's like, you know, things always look good on paper to everyone else. You yeah, know, like yeah. But he re- he really struggled um, for a lot of years with Yob. You know, all those guys sticking it out, and uh, it's so awesome to see now that that's just what they do, and I. Mike still doesn't get it, but he's one of those guys now. I'm like, dude, you're like, when people see like High on Fire or or any of these bands, like you're one of those dudes now. Yeah. Like any, you know, whenever I go out to coffee with him, when, you know, when I was living in Eugene, it's like everywhere we went, people stopped them. Like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> dude, Mike shite. So it's awesome. I mean, now they're playing with, you know, like they're on tour with Voivod. Like me and Mike That's awesome, man. love Voivod, you know, so he's up there with his heroes. Um, you know, I had to do what I had to do uh, with that band, but it's awesome to look back and see how important Catharsis is. Like, even now that they have this amazing discography of epic fucking albums that I love, Catharsis is still like I, you know, Googled it to read some things about it, and it's like these reviews are saying, yes, this is a genre defining American metal classic. I was like, what? <laughs> Having Mike tell me one day, he's like, oh yeah, by the way, Danny Carey from Tool loves your, your drumming on Catharsis. Oh my like, God. We, we were talking about it. I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm stoked about that stuff. Um, I know we've joked, I always say that I'm the, the Pete best of doom metal, (laughs) (laughs) even though I definitely, you know, actually played on some albums, but, uh, yeah, so it's a cool thing. I mean, I super proud of it. Um, I honestly, even without mental health issues, I don't know if I could have stuck it out for fucking however long, 20 years they've been playing. Yeah, that's crazy. Something like that. Yeah. I'm sure there's more details to the story, but... Well, I mean, there's so much um, so much hip-hop to get to also. I mean, at, yes. at, at that point, probably around the time you start making beats, right? I mean, what, did that have anything to do with you not being able to play drums for a while? or? Um. Well, let's see. So yeah, at 99, that's, um, I started making beats and what happened was, uh, um, I, I got this camera, uh, cause I was really into taking pictures at that time and it came with the Acid Pro software for free. Huh. And, uh, so I threw it in and I just had that epiphany. I was like, oh my God, like this, this will do those things in my head that, you know, and, uh, so I think it was 90. Yeah. Cause this year is 20 years. I've been making beats. So in 99, yeah. um, I started making beats. Um, and, and the, uh, well, and the crazy thing about that to me is that when 
when you and I started working, um, I mean, the first track you gave me was in 07. That was for 99 years. Um, and at that time, you had something like, I think at that point it was like 50 full-length albums. Um, oh, man. I, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and, and none of them, none of them had been released. So you had been woodshedding for, for yeah. I mean, a, eight years or something at that point, N- just, just cranking it out and never, never to put out just, just for yourself to go through the creative process. Like that's unheard of. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a weird thing. Like I just wanted to, I don't know. I didn't like intentionally sit down. Like I'm going to sit down and become a monk, you know, like, yeah, I think I was in Rivals. Yeah, yeah. So I was in Rivals after Yob, and I was still making beeps. But uh, it was just something like I looked at it like the way like um, artists, you know, have like a pile of sketchbooks, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I think by the time I stopped doing that and put out Magnum Farce, which was my first solo album, which is crazy. I, th- I think I was up to like eighty-two. Or something like that. Yeah, like yeah. full 70-minute discs full of beats. And I have no idea where that box of CDs is. Well, I have a good portion of them if you don't. I have like a foot-tall stack of just web, Damn. the free-range human discs without cases. I'm talking just a spindle that's oh, wow. full of your early beats. Because, I mean, when we started, yeah, and I know it did. it did get to like 80 albums before you had dropped anything outside of our group or anything. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I have a ton of, of your early stuff on loose CDRs. <laughs> Cause you would all, you'd yeah. always come into work and be like, have you heard this one? <laughs> yeah. I was working like a madman. It's just, uh, something new. And it's also like for all those years, like I, I knew how, you know, over time you, through reading and you know stuff that comes out you you learn how stuff is made so it was almost like i just had all these years since i was nine the shit in my head that i just needed to like get out you know there are samples of like oh my god i've been thinking about chopping the sample for 10 years and i've finally done it um but yeah it was cool like i was just uh there's something new i didn't have anyone that i had to uh it was just me. It was like a hundred percent me. It was refreshing because I'd been in bands forever. Yeah. So now I could just like, whatever I want to do, I'm going to do it. And I was moving fast. I'm just trying to learn, trying different techniques, uh, all that stuff. And, um, and then, you know, eventually like, uh, me and my, girlfriend had split up so then i got even more in, in that's when i was working at at guitar center when i'd be like i made 15 beats this weekend so, yeah that shit was nuts right and it's because well probably because i'm super depressed just need a distraction but yeah, yeah. um and i and i didn't stop until um we had started the illusionist and then we had met you know, Mikey and Max to jump forward, you know, like, uh, well, and to, to back up a little bit though, I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I was always, um, kind of in awe of the fact that 
I mean, I know that I am the type of person who most of the projects I'm in, I tend to be the, you know, like the, the manager of the group and I'm the one who's propelling things to release the music and record it and, and put it out and, and tour it and whatever, right? I am that yeah. guy. But at the time that we started working on stuff, I was not that guy and neither of us were motivated to do that stuff because of no. our, our bad breakups and bands. And so you had all of these years of experience knowing other people in the music community, so many musicians. You have all these years of woodshedding, making the stuff together. Like, wh what the fuck did you see in me at that time when I'm making joke gangster rap satire because my dreams have gone down the toilet? And wh How the fuck did this happen because when i listen back to our old stuff i think man here's a seasoned beat maker doing something original that's awesome and here's me just trying to be as gross as i can on top of it <laughs> like the only thing keeping me from re-releasing that old shit is me and um you had already had that growth from from you know your experience on your own and i just think it's such an unlikely pairing the way we started um well, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I'm, I'm a stoner, you're straight edge, it's like there was, you know, there were some things, I, I, you know, I already knew that you were, like, super talented, because I had known you from EPD, I had known you from, you know, here in this day's end, Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I just knew that you were coming from the kind of the same like I, I knew that we the way we think you know a lot like me and like oh this guy gets me I, I get this guy but also I was excited to find somebody that was kind of in the same boat as me maybe you didn't have the wood shedding of that but we're coming from the same place we're coming That's from true. Yeah. metal punk backgrounds and we're gonna try something new Yeah. and any of that sick shit you, you, you said, we say the same shit. Like, that's how, yeah, you know, like, true. I know that's the locker room talk, but uh, we were on the same wavelength, and I just never really put a lot of thought into it. I was just like, fuck it, I'll do something new. It wasn't like, oh, I'm starting this thing. Um, well, yeah, and that, that was never, like... I always, what kept me, what kept me going with you is that like I was trying to do, you were seemingly always trying to take it more seriously. Or or even if we weren't taking it more seriously, you were still, like, um, we were just on the same wavelength, dude. I yeah. mean, that's basically what it was. I mean, I, th I think that um, once it got going, there was there was an undeniable chemistry that happened. You know, we had done that one song... And then in February of 08 is when that conversation, if nobody knows the illusionist story, all you ever need to know is that we work together, you know, we bullshit and, and, and hang out and, and, you know, Gabe was the music encyclopedia of the store. I could ask him about, oh, who played on this one record that one time in this year? And he's like, oh, this guy, you know. And so we got along in that way. But one day I was covering somebody at the front door and uh, Gabe walked by, and I saw his Batman tattoo, and I was like, man, you know, 
we're both super into like Beastie Boys and sampling and stuff. Like, have you ever sampled the Danny Elfman score to Batman? And that was it. And then I brought the the soundtrack the next day because I had a copy and <laughs> and and you were off at five and I stayed to close and you came back at seven and you had given me the first track that became the opening song on our album and and over the next two months we made 20 songs 18 of which made the album and so i think there was no stopping it at that point yeah i mean there's it, it's like you know any any creative thing you you do like there's a point where you're like okay this is kind of taking on a life of its own you know like it's it's awesome it was so easy and maybe the best part of it for both of us was that it didn't matter there were no stakes. No one wanted to hear it. No one knew we were making it. It was just for us. Yeah, and that's that's why it was so easy, dude. I just think we just, at the beginning, it was just us. We were just, we didn't really care if other people liked what we were doing. We just were doing us. I really liked that. And I, I think I also, if I knew that you know, and, people would have heard us, then I would have probably made some different decisions with it. But the fact that we didn't have those inhibitions meant that we were able to create so quickly and so and experiment so much that you know it it did not take long before second album grows from that style and you know we we start to find something real in this fucking around that we had been doing you know yeah i mean fuck you just listen to i wasn't thinking song structure you know like if you listen to sleep rock and there's no eight bar intro 16 bar verse eight bar chorus 16 you know and that that was the best thing about it i think that was one of the most interesting things about it to me because i had just come out of this day's end who i mean we had crashed and burned but what what we were doing at that point was you know throwing all kinds of genres together and throwing different time signatures together and and making these crazy sprawling arrangements that we could only record live because there were so many different changes it wouldn't make sense to just go in and play your parts and so so coming from that creative environment and working with you where it's like whoa these songs are fucking like layers on top of layers and parts on top of twists and all this crazy shit going on like that was part of the appeal too yeah i was uh yeah, that's it's 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 really weird. Um, I don't have the sleep rock anymore, but the last time I was listening to, to just listen to, um, yeah, where we were at then and where we ended up, it's it's pretty crazy. I mean, it's a quick evolution, but um, where I was at, you know, like I was, yeah, I mean, I was still uh, obviously on sleep rock, and I was still free thinking. I wasn't making beats thinking of you yeah or thinking of like oh this is going to be a song song you know well, i don't think we did that until no probably till death proof i mean really because you were yeah at, at that point you were just cranking out material and i was the only one who who ever heard it and so i would just kind of pick and choose and i know some of them you were like what and i'd be like just trust me i i I, I can flow on this one. <laughs> and so those early records, they're just kind of a hodgepodge of sounds. But, um, you know, eventually we did kind of settle in on what became our thing. Yeah, it, it's weird how uh, through all that mess, like, it, the thing with the illusionist that trips me out is it's almost like it just happened on its own. I mean, like, yes. it, it didn't because you did, you 
you did an insane amount of work to make things happen, but well, but those first the let's say the first uh, the first year or two years or something, it definitely was very easy. Yeah, it, it, what I'm trying to say is it's almost like our sound kind of slithered out of the mess of the first two albums, and it was just kind of like presented itself of like, okay, well this is this is what has come out of this big pile of stuff. Like this is a condensed version. Yeah. Um, cause there was a definite, there's always been a sound, but it became more direct. Yeah. Probably third album. Especially yeah. I mean, up, by that point we had, wagon. by that point we had more experience together. We had played some shows. So we, we were actually trying to make something good instead of just making whatever was funny that day or whatever. Right. Um, and then 2010 was the year that we met E&A. And so we're like, oh, okay, well, if if this connection goes any further, we need to make sure that we <laughs> make a better record this time, you know, and maybe we would go on tour and, like, actually, you know, put this out there. And so all those things kind of coalescing, plus having Evan in the group at that point brought another element to it so i mean it really was that like by that death proof album that we were we were starting to think more about song structure and execution and you know like i bought you know the preamp that i'm using right now and a, and a, a nicer microphone and you know certain things like that because we we went from making like super distorted basement rap to like well what if we sell this <laughs> like the right. first, the first album we gave away every copy for free you know and this and then by the second album people were actually like buying dude our second album was a double album how the fuck like like the fact that we started right. remember cuz cuz like when we it first started all. when we first started playing shows we we were like well how how do we do this you know, we had only come from live bands, and so, and you made your beats in a computer, not on a, a sampler, and so we were like, well, yeah. what do we do? And so it's just like me and Evan literally standing there with my iPod, and I remember we got asked to play a show at the Wow Hall, and we're like, well, I think it was Crosby who was who was like hearing my, my hesitance, like, well, how is this going to work at a rock show? And he's like, dude, you should put together a band. Yeah, it was that fucker. <laughs> I feel like that is simultaneously like the best slash worst thing that happened to the group because it took our live shows to this other level and we sort of became this like infamous group in town for all the right. stirring up shit and like throwing 30 second hardcore songs in the mix and you know getting banned from the radio and just all the all the shit that we would do that's what elevated our profile locally and then it's also what like a lot of the tension and bullshit came from later, but like, right. But man, th those shows were so fucking fun. Yeah. That, you know, I, it's the only part of my musical past. I kind of look back on and wish I could have been there more, yeah. you know, cause I was going through a lot of, a lot of crazy shit. It's weird to look back at my mental health issues going, man, that was a tough period. And it's like, that was a tough, like almost twenty year period. Yeah, <laughs> but um, because a lot of those shows, you know, like I'm just like, just squeaking by, just being there, you know, like so I didn't get to enjoy myself. It was kind of like how Michael Richards was when he was in Seinfeld. Like he, he just never slugged, like was able to stop and enjoy himself. Yeah, and uh, 
it was yeah, it was amazing, dude. Like we, I once we started that shit, like the all the people that we met. If it wasn't for the live band, dude, you wouldn't be on Crush Kill today. Yeah, I know? mean, like in reality, because that's what got us the ENA show. Yeah, I mean, or any of those. Uh, it was it was a special thing, and it was such a weird thing because it caused the real band environment. Which was the thing we were trying to avoid the whole time. Right. And then it started causing confusion with people that are like, wait, I see you guys live, and then I get the CD, and it's not what I just saw live. Yeah. It's the same songs, but, like, I'm confused, you know. Um, but... You know, I look, I also think like, you know, I remember when we started, it's like, oh, I'll, you know, take control of the band. And it's like, and I never did. Like, I, I just couldn't. I was, yeah, you know, yeah. And I think barely that, that would have been, by. that would have been a different, an entirely different future of the band. Because, you know, at that point, you were the sole creator of the music in the band. Or, well, in, in the group, you, me, and Evan. Yeah. You were the sole musical director so to speak and you know then i would take i mean it was rare that i would even have changed arrangements or anything at that point it was very much just like "Ooh, that thing's awesome let's rap on it you know and like oh it has a weird twist here uh you go there for four bars and then i'll take the next six and then you know it was just like you know we were very much working with um the crazy shit that you were coming up with and so I, i remember when we first talked about doing it you know it was important to both of us that we had the integrity of the the original ideas in yeah. in the execution and i think because i became more of a guiding factor in the live band that's where a lot more of the punk rock craziness came in because it was like well if he's not able to show up as much, I'm going to do what I know how to do, which is make a fucking wild show, not necessarily the most precise, intricate one. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was great, too, is seeing just you, you know, getting to see you and Evan, um, even after the live band disbanded, like, just to see every time I would, like, have a break, like, you guys would go on tour or something, i see you guys come back, and be like, holy fuck dude like these guys you guys were just continually you were always elevating whether it's stage presence you know there was always something to improve and uh i think that's another thing that's great about us i mean none of us are as bad as crosby (laughs) their own worst critic but uh yeah you know there was definitely and the biggest thing with the live band for me that i was concerned about is like there's there's an energy that needs to be there to make it work, you know, because doing that whole rap crossover to a live band thing can really go bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I've seen it. And uh, and I, I felt like, um, yeah, I mean, I've seen some shit where I'm like, no, this is, I mean, the production of it, but I think, uh, yeah, we definitely pulled it off and we only got better. Like, uh, just looking at that one track mind video, yeah, um, yeah, from the live DVD. We were fucking great, you know, but you could tell, like, you know, if everyone, even looking at it, you could tell who was into it the most, you and Evan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got Mike, who's there, thinking about, like, when's the show over? <laughs> you got me in the back going, like, fuck, I gotta, like, be around people after I'm done playing. <laughs> you know, John's like, when am I, 
gonna do my thing, you know, whatever he was doing. Well, no, I would say John was John was maybe the happiest to be there as as, as far as anyone outside of who had written the songs. Oh. He was stoked. <laughs> Watching the live DVD, he looks so stoked. Yeah. Like he, and you know, even seeing him in the the Death of a Salesman documentary, like yeah. he's just so excited to be a part. And, uh, and I'll, I'll say straight up, I've played with some amazing people, and I always love playing with Puck. They were bass players to play with. Like, yeah, that dude would just like lock into my kick drum, and uh, like I wouldn't even have to think. When Putz was, I mean, we we always had great bass players. Yeah, I mean, Polanski, then Kroz, then John. I mean, yeah, dude. Polanski's like technically, you know, monster. Putz uh, had had that feel. Like he he knew the one, you know, like yeah. the, the the funk of it, which is one of the coolest reviews I've ever seen from Yob. <laughs> was uh, somebody had said. <clears throat> I had made a reference saying that I sounded like a uh, James Brown drummer playing doom metal. Which, I mean, that's that's what it is. And I was like, <laughs> like, yeah, that's pretty much if you were to sum up my my style, I guess. One of my favorite memories from the, the GC era was, you know, we worked with these crazy talented technical players, you know, who could sit there and play death metal crazy double kick parts and blast beats and all this stuff just flawlessly and then they would be doing that every day you know in the drum room just killing it on their breaks and one day you went there and sat down and were just grooving on something like just your mind was just kind of off somewhere and you were just kind of grooving and one by one all those dudes came over watching you play this simple pattern going how does he do that (laughs) yeah you know it's something that i find a lot of musicians don't focus on. And it's something that I had, I realized at a young age, listening to drummers, I was like, like, John Bonham plays this way. Like, learning, like, realizing people's swing. Yeah. You know, what what, what swing is. Well, when you're playing and along then, to a record, you, I mean, you notice that right away of like, oh, shit, I, I can't put the snare here. It's early. <laughs> it's <laughs> right. Some guys are playing on the beat, ahead of the beat, behind the beat. And that's the whole thing of like the James Brown, you know, like it's all on, on the one. So it's like you have between the one and the two, you know, you have this space that you find or just whatever comes natural. So I always focused on that. And then I would play along to, so I, I can, if I play a hip hop beat, it can sound mechanical because I realize stuff like, oh, when you're playing a hip hop beat, it's made on a machine. So there's no human feel to it. So like every, when I'm playing hip hop or something, it's going to be very direct, I guess. But if yeah, if you're playing ACDC to play it right, there's a swing to it that yeah. you have to get, you know. When I was working at GC, I probably sat down with a couple of guys and go, look, you can play a simple 4-4 four, four beat various ways, depending on how you fucking swing it. And uh, the drummers just like to sprint before they can crawl, you know. I mean, I, I'm guilty of the same thing in that I... I view all my instruments and, and everything here in the studio as just a tool to get the idea out of my head. 
And so I was never a person who could just sit down and practice a thing that was simple and, and, and excel at that. That's why my growth, you know, I put out all this music and a lot of them were, maybe they were good song ideas, but you know, I couldn't sing them or maybe they were cool arrangement, but the recording wasn't very good. And you know, all, all these things is because I was so much more wanting to get out the ideas you know, and very much run before I could walk, you know, that's why my, yeah. my growth in terms of technicality was so g gradual. Yeah. People don't think of like, you got to think of, uh, whatever your instrument is, you know, it's, it's an extension of you, you know? So like, how do you take this thing that everyone else does and personalize it? Yeah. I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's, uh, Everyone goes through that phase. You know, when I was in my 20s, lightweight, Paul Whaler, dude, I was, like, way overplaying. Yeah. You know, because at that time, I'm, like, you know, getting drum books. Even when I was at GC, you know, me and Parker would sit back in the drum department and, like, try to write out, like, things to see if the other person could play it. And we would just learn stick tricks. Like, oh, I'm going to learn how to, you know, do all this crazy shit. And, um, but some people just focus on that. And don't ever take the time to realize, like, like I think what I'm trying to say is your your instrument is an extension of you. Yeah. And you can have a, like, you know how a guitarist can pick up a, any guitar and hit that chord and you're like, oh, that's Jimmy Page. Yes. Or a drummer. Like, you can John Bonham play. You're like, that's fucking John Bonham. Yeah. It's because, and I think I've heard Jimmy Page talk about it, it's the way, like... Even like for guitarists, it's the way your skin and your chemistry reacts with, you know, the strings and the wood and like all that stuff. So I think that uh, a great example of that is uh, John Frusciante, because, mm -hmm. you know, he always played his Strat, his Tele or his White Falcon. And those are very, you know, he played them through his Plexi and it's kind of his signature sound. And when he was cranking out solo records, he made one with Ian McKay from Fugazi and I remember he didn't he intentionally didn't bring any of his own gear and he used Ian's Les Paul and JCM 900 and when you listen to the record you would never notice that it was a different guitar rig it doesn't sound like some supercharged rock version or something it's it's just a John Frusciante record you know because that's how he holds his guitar <laughs> yeah it's it's not just a tool for you to um, I've never looked at it that way. It's like, it, it's a tool for creativity, but also it's, it's something that you've chosen to like put your passion into. Yeah. It's a way to express yourself, you know, it's like, it's what's great about seeing a painting, you know, it's like the w one time in the world when you can see a snapshot into someone's brain, you know, like, yeah, I think that's, what's weird about being in bands too. You get like four guys that are, expressing their creative emotions and <laughs> yeah it's it's very you know? vulnerable it's very intimate very susceptible to hurt feelings <laughs> well yeah because there's you know a lot of ego involved you know i've had to pull the either he goes or i go thing i was in yob once you know speaking of of overplaying and how that was the kind of the opposite of your style that was something that Still to this day, I feel like you're one of the most simply play to the song dudes I've ever worked with. Like when we were doing any of these other side projects, like uh, when we did Killing in the Name on Asshole Extraordinaire, you know, it's just 
pure swing. I mean, I've had other people think that because it's a hidden track, they're like, oh, yeah, when I put it over, I thought the next disc started and it was Rage Against the Machine. Or like I had on my iPod, yeah. I, I thought I thought it just shuffled to Rage Against the Machine afterward. Like it sounds so much like the original, you know. And even when we would do like um, some of the punk stuff, you know, I'd be like, you know, you, you can go really crazy in this part or whatever. And, and uh, you know, it just wasn't even what was on your agenda for it, you know. Well, yeah, I mean... Um, well, I was thinking I've played like Jaded and uh, and School, and yeah. especially Jaded. People are like, why are you playing Green Day something for me? Because I remember when we made that, it's like let's just do like an exact cover. Yeah. Like let's just. And I learned it. I'm like, I want to play exactly what Trey played. Like, and that's another thing, dude. Like with that killing in in, in the name of cover, that's awesome that people think the disc started because I remember. Uh, us having that conversation of swing has to be right. Yeah. Because you know? when you play Rage, like Brad's swing, dude, he swings in such a specific way. You know, it's that ACDC thing. Like, you could play Killing in the Name of, and if you don't get the groove right, it's not going to have the same impact. You know, it's like this well, slinky, almost off the beat, but on, and like, yeah, sloshy. And that was the thing that we had done at some illusionist shows, but. I remember it was really important when we finally did that recording that it was just you and me and we were very, like, there was so much attention to detail to get that right. Yeah, it, it ended up turning out really good. I think um, it's one of my, probably one of my favorite covers I've ever done and ironically it's not even on any of my Stolen Songs albums. <laughs> such a good one. I, I love that one. I, I, I love Jaded and, and School. Like those are a couple of my favorites I've played your albums. I think um, on that same record, we had a cool arrangement, punk arrangement of a, that Dixie Chicks song. Um, that was one of my favorite like reimaginings too, because the other ones were so oh, yeah. they were they were all so note for note, and that one was one where we got to really push boundaries and experiment. And like I was I was replaying their exact banjo part or something on the guitar but we were doing it in double time and like the, with hard stops and group shouts and like you know it had been so long since i'd been able to to you know really make punk songs in the studio that i just my put my producer hat on and was like all right let's have some fun <laughs> i'll have to go back and listen to that because i remember uh i remember on playing on the fast punk songs those those kryptonite yeah you know those punk beats are like my fucking kryptonite for some reason it's that whole like um i guess like that whole like uh 90s fat wreck era you know the really fast like strung out type stuff well you know, yeah like, I, I remember i'd be like what do you you can't play the no effects beat and you're like well i i don't i don't know i don't follow <laughs> but then we came up with that like well I'll play the descendants beat and like yeah see that's the same fucking thing like just do that one Right, and that's what's weird is like I I come from, you know, the '80s uh, hardcore type shit, and then but I love the Fat Rex stuff, but it wasn't like stuff that I was brought up on. Yeah, um, I I mean there was a lightweight song that we had that that had that um, in it, but also at the time I'm like you know I'm twenties, so <laughs> but um, yeah, there's something about that beat where. It's, I don't know, like, uh, Jordan from Strung Out is, is a master at that stuff. Yeah. But you can so get lost 
and like almost turn the beat behind like i think that's my problem is it like it flips to where the kick and the snare are backwards and well yeah um, because it really what you're like the snare is what's driving it and and i think that's that's the fucked up part because you come from that funk of like oh the one is is king but really the snares are king right. in in the 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 fast punk shit you know like when when i watch kellen play in dfs and any of those videos like he like everything he does is based around like his snare you, you can tell like you know all these hits and stuff it's all Everything is based around yep. those snare hits, and, uh, yeah. and the accents are weird with that beat. Like it's uh, that machine gun shit. Yeah, but I love it. Oh, I don't know if you know, but Jordan doesn't play in Strung Out now. Yeah, yeah, I saw the whole thing about that, and they had um, they had Travis Barker fill in for a minute, and and now they're they're coming out with a, a new lineup. But I was watching. I I love that video with Travis, but I noticed even Travis struggles playing Jordan stuff. Yeah, his style is just so different, you know. I saw Strung Out at Icky's, dude, in, it would have been the, um, was it Teenage Suburban Wasteland album? Nice. And uh, Jordan afterwards, dude, that guy was so rad, you know, because it's like this tiny little shitty punk club where you could go get stabbed, you know, back in the day in the Whitaker neighborhood. It was one of those shows where I'm like standing basically like right next to Jordan's hi-hat just watching him laughing the entire show dude yeah like how the because fuck I'm, yeah I'm just like how like this guy's a double pedal but he only uses it on fills yeah like, how is he so fast and uh, afterwards dude he, he like sat down for like 45 minutes afterwards on his drum kit and was like showing me like his warm-up techniques oh, and that's how awesome. to get faster and all this stuff and I got to talk to him a little bit in like 2004. It was an amazing bill. It was strung out, only crime, which is uh, you know Russ from Good Riddance and uh, Bill Stevenson yeah. and all, yeah all these cats, uh, and a Wilhelm scream who had just come out with their first album. So it was strung, oh, wow. strung out, only crime and a Wilhelm scream. And I went to see them in Portland and Eugene back to back. And one of my friends like sort of knew the strung out guys, and so I got to go with him and. Uh, uh, and actually meet Jordan after the set, and like, yeah, he was just the the most humble because we're all just staring at him, like, how what what did we just fucking see? <laughs> you know, it's like it's like watching Brooks Wackerman come off stage and be like, hey guys, how you doing? You know? Yeah, it's it's really crazy, and I'd seen a lot of those um, bands around that time. You know, I saw No Use for a Name, and uh, I, but he was a standout. Uh, your uh, your phone cut out. Oh. Sorry, yeah, I did move around. I've been trying to stand in, like, the place where I know my phone reception <laughs> kind of by my window because I have that apartment, you know, that's, like, yeah. lower than the um, parking lot. Yeah. So, so far, so good. I didn't say anything important. I don't know how many of these uh, we want to go through, but um, but just on the subject of punk rock, any memory from making the split? DF I, DFS only came back because the Illusionist punk songs were five songs in three minutes and we're like fuck we gotta fit we gotta fill this with something we can't release a three minute ep and that was like well shit what if we get dfs back together and, and then now we've lasted another seven years because of that that's awesome no dude i i wish we had done more of that um Honestly, if I ever thought of doing it, like anything that'd be like, oh, another illusionist would be like something like that. Just a random, hey, here's a new punk rock EP. 
later. You know, let's like do here's it. Three songs, or here's six songs, three minutes again. Yeah, but yeah, that stuff was fun, dude. I love. We just got to show another side of ourselves too. You know, where maybe we could do a more serious song, and then for thirty seconds we could tell people, you know, suck my dick. Yeah. And and I think a lot of that too helped bridge the gap because everyone knew us from these other genres. Very few places wanted to book us as a rap act. And so when people see us up there rapping, but then they see us still doing it's like, oh, those are the same guys. Like I, I get this. This isn't yeah. that different. Yeah. And that's like with, with me, I've never um any of the bands I've been in, like I've never I've never gone on to be like, oh, the Illusion is featuring ex-members of, you yeah. know, like, and, and I know you're not like that either. I don't necessarily want to hear people going like, oh, this is what you're doing now. Yeah. This. <laughs> really? Like, I like people just figure it out on their own, which I always thought was great. I'd go see, you know, Yob or something, and it'd be like, yo, shout out to, you know, Gabe or The Illusionist, you know, or last time I saw him, he's like, giving me a shout out talking about checking out dusted temple nice we should probably talk about death of a salesman i mean that's that was our big record um that could be that could be its own episode but i mean that album uh is still one you know if i'm hanging out with somebody who at a show or somebody comes to town and they start talking about you know favorite releases or something you know that one is more often than not. I'd say it's it's the most frequently number one chosen that people give me. It's like oh, death of a salesman though. You know, like it it w- what we were going through at the time, and what we and the fact that we chose to write about in such detail and in such almost like real time day in the life of our our turmoil at the time that it was probably more relatable than anything we'll ever write again, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's the most personal piece of art that I've ever been a part of. It's like you put it on and it's, it's like, like you feel those, I feel those times, like everything that was going on, you know? Um, it was, it was insane, dude. It was such a good album. Like I listened to it and, I love it from start to finish. Like, there's nothing that I want to change. I felt like it was, we had maybe subconsciously or somehow in the back of our minds, like, it's where we always wanted to get to. Yeah. You know, like that sound. I mean, that was our first, like, post-touring a lot and having dissolved the live band. And, like, I mean, that that was really the, like, most refined. Our chemistry was as tight as as it could have possibly been, you know, particularly me and Ev on that record. Um, well, I, you know, I actually, I would say you and me on that record because we were working together to elevate the, the mix quality and, and stuff like that at the same time that me and, right. me and Ev were trying to elevate the performances. And I don't know, I, fe- I feel like two ways about it. I feel like in some ways that's me and his record. In some ways I feel that's me and your record. And um, obviously, well, Cro- Cross had his his awesome contributions, but like you know, when I think of the interludes, 
of me and Kenny and you're sitting right there, <laughs> you know, I know. and all, all that shit. Like, um, I rewatched the documentary after you mentioned it and, you know, just like the footage of us in the warehouse and like the footage of us at the printer. And, and then I, that's when I remembered like, Oh yeah, he's, he's with me when I was recording those ass chewings over the phone. And yeah, I, I, um, I was the one that recommended it. <laughs> I was like, we need to start recording this shit. It's getting crazy. Yeah. It was a weird time. Cause then, you know, you think, I'm utilizing, so before that album, you know, we had the show with ENA, that shit took off. So then I, you know, I, being mentored by Max for a year yeah. before that album. So it's like, I think it was a year, however long, but, um, I mean, it was probably, you know, probably six months of doing those, those remixes, you know, before Mike passed, because it took a few weeks to get them. And then from there it was, you know, you were steady sending tracks to Max and Mike, I mean, as they were getting completed and, you know, him going, yeah, this version doesn't quite work. You need to, you know, focus on this element and, you know, shit like that. Yeah. And, you know, and then even after Mikey passed, you know, when we, we were going to put it out, then it was like, then it was on again where, you know, getting the notes. But, um, yeah, true. Yeah, there's just a lot of. Well, plus uh, reintroducing at the same time. Yeah, it's, uh, it was it was a weird time because it was like uh, I I remember us after the ENA show. It was almost like we had just hit a wall. Like, yeah, you've been having fun, but now what are you gonna do? Like, we we had that fucking moment, you know, where it's like, well, shit. Like, are we gonna take this serious now? And like, you're so right because I don't remember if if we all talked that night but i remember the next morning because it was a weekday and we went to work and it was like wednesday morning and we're, we all had this like epiphany sort of feeling of like everything's different now right you know like how fucking crazy that we were just all had this like heaviness this focus this like okay are we all in and I think that I think that was the day when I made that comment. I said, "Dude, our lives are like yeah. It's like every day is like the beginning of Groundhog's Day and the end of Eight Mile, you know." And when, I think when people uh, hear that, they're probably thinking of the battle finale, which is relevant. But I'm also thinking of, in terms of the album we we're making, the scene after the battle when they're like, "All right, yeah. you're gonna go celebrate," and he's like, "No, man, I gotta go back to work." <laughs> you yeah. Know? That's what I'm talking about. It's like, no, he's like, oh, this is fucking amazing. All right, see you at work tomorrow. Like, yeah, he's like, no, I know? got somebody covering my shift right now. See you later. You know, and and that really became such a, you know, it's something every artist can relate to, but also even people who aren't creative people, you know, in just feeling kind of stuck. And, you know, the fact that we were, for what for whatever reason, I think maybe just having idea and abilities turn their heads to you and ask what you have to say. And, and what, you know, it's just like for, for whatever reason we were so supercharged to create and to challenge ourselves and to, and to do better and coming out of this period again, where we had all kind of given up and, and, and the idea of like, you know, making it or making this your life, you know, was kind of over the fact uh -huh. that, that we were getting that second wind made all that corporate bullshit feel like fucking prison. And I, I'm, I'm not trying to, like, hyperbolize it, but, like, that's why that album is so intense, because you have this, 
it's like a thunderstorm of the hot and the cold of the, you know, the positivity and the negativity, you know, the, the infinite promise and possibility against this conform, do the same fit in your box. And, and, it's weird to me to, to talk about because it doesn't seem like, yeah, I mean, you're musicians at work. You know, it's your day job. That's what it is. But, like, it was just that, that lightning in a bottle moment where everything was the worst it had ever been at work while everything's the best it had ever been outside. And those two things lining up simultaneously is what made all that happen, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think owned sums up the feeling yeah. of of guitar center at that time or just like all of us like we're just being like chaos there's just this energy of tumbling around and not knowing like what yeah it was a weird time like i still look back at it and just be like damn that was so intense during that period i i don't know about you but i still including this morning slash last night i still have stress dreams about being there oh man i still do i dude i've tried to i was telling the guy that I work with us was talking to him about guitar center and it's like yeah it's hard to explain it's like it's almost like like at, at, like people i know were affected by that place yeah like i saw friends develop like ticks you know like twitches in their face and stuff because of the stress of that place yeah i mean dude crosby yeah crosby got to crosby and blake both of those guys, I remember they used to they'd come up and their face would just be all twitching and like, dude, are you okay? Like, yeah, Cross had the thing with his eye and Blake had the head shake and the neck thing and I I definitely had a thing too and, and yeah, it seems, I don't know, I just feel like, I feel like people wouldn't even believe it if they just heard us talking about it, but it was so bad and so hostile. And then, like, I know, I think about that day. <laughs> Remember that day when I lost it, dude? Me and me and Ryan Van got into about something, and I came out of the and I came out of his office and was screaming. I, it must have been a couple of days before I quit. Uh, but I, I was throwing ladders, like those big ladders, dude. And I remember Ryan came out of the office. Went over to you and was like, "Should I be concerned for my safety?" And you just laughed and said, "This is between you and him, man. <laughs> like, I got nothing to do with it." Yeah, I was like, "I got my own fucking problems, man." And and actually, I remember it was probably that same week. It was within a day or two after you had quit, and and it was like two weeks before I left for the big tour and was gonna quit anyway. But I had I had to get through that time, and and that week was like. That was my breaking point. I remember I got there at 8 o'clock in the morning with Ryan and the fucking, um, you know, we have to run that, like, 60-page report, the sales audit report, and oh, yeah. and all those all the, the morning papers that we had to run. And the printer always jammed because there's these 80s-ass fucking old-fashioned printers, and it was doing the jam thing again, and I fixed it, and it did it again, and I fixed it, and it did it again, and... I snapped in my head and I just started punching it and screaming, like full on screaming, like, you know, when you hear the record, and it's like, God, that fuck it. I was full on, <laughs> yeah. I was that screaming, just like, fucking goddamn motherfucker. You know, and I remember Ryan like popped his head, just his head sideways, like a cartoon. 
into my doorway that was open and was like, everything okay in here, buddy? And I picked up my chair and I threw it at him through the doorway and it, it broke in two pieces when it hit the warehouse shelves. And, um, and that was like one of our last interactions ever. And I just remember that, like, that was the culmination of the most stress I've ever experienced in my life, you know, yeah. um, over the course yeah. of like a two or three year period. I look at our friendship, it's so different than any other friends that I have. Because you remember that time when it's like, we're friends, we're in a band, you're my boss. You know, there was the levels and then, you know, you having to deal with me hating Guitar Center, you're my boss, I'm pulling my shit. And with the band, I'm doing, you know, it's like for us to have survived and then, you know, it's been, what, two years that we've been talking again and then... Yeah, yeah, two and a half now. It's, and I think that I, it's something that people don't understand because, you know, maybe they've seen you and I get into it and, you know, or maybe we've confided in some shit that was going on that we were dealing with at the time, uh, you know, between me and you. And, you know, and now it's like, you know, oh, yeah, I got this new track called Wildfire. Me and Gabe are killing it and all this shit. Or like, uh, you know, and they'll look at me like, wait, you guys are like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean... <laughs> the amount of crazy shit that we've gone through is so just like familial you know it's like the shit that no, you know when you go through the worst stuff with people it can either break you and it can make you stronger and i think for us it was the first part for a while and then it became the second part and the fact that we were able to finally overcome the worst of the worst of it is what you know keeps us we i mean we talk like every day, I talk to you probably more than anybody. Uh, yeah. Anyone I'm not married to, anyway. <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, it's 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 yeah. I mean, I talk to you. I mean, just your texts and stuff more than JJ or JD or. Um, but yeah, there's just something um, that I mean. It's been a friendship that I've been able to learn a lot about myself. Yeah. And just about the the art of friendship. You know, and uh, and it is like I've always there's something about our relationship that is like brothers. Like sometimes yes. we just want to fucking rip each other's face off, but it's just out of love and frustration. And I, and I think <laughs> you know? some of that some of that is some guy shit too, because like I don't know if you've had this experience with somebody, but like me and Crosby, for example, you know. Um, you know, I have, I have a, a very deep relationship with Crosby and, you know, he's one of the only people who like, um, and this is back in like high school, like we actually got into a fist fight, right? Some shit, some shit was going on. Like he was in this relationship and going through a breakup and, and, you know, long story short, without airing all of our personal stuff, like the next time we right. saw each other at, at practice, it's like, I'm in there. He walks into the house, we look, we lock eyes, and we just go for each other. And it's like, you know, cartoons rolling around on the floor, you know. <laughs> and, and then when it was done, we both stood up, brushed ourselves off, and we played music. And, and you and I, on an emotional level, have had that. Yeah. Like, if, if people want to know how far this shit goes, this has survived you saying that I'm dead to you. 
and me mm-hmm. writing a diss track to you. So, I mean, we, writing, we writing have, a whole album about fuck you. <laughs> we have, uh, no, we've, we've, uh, we've overcome some crazy shit. And, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm really grateful that we have because, uh, all these other awesome stories that we've just shared are <laughs> further, further proof of why we've survived. Well, I mean, the thing, and not with everybody I've ever been in a band with, but like in reality, when it comes down to it, it's like friendship first, you know, like I'd rather, uh, you know, kind of like with, with, with Mike Shy, you just realize like, you know what? We were friends before all this shit. Yeah. And me and you, it's like we had a brief little period. Like we kind of just jumped into this thing without really knowing each other. Just kind of being like, oh, we've done this and we've been in the scene together. And now we're doing this thing. It's been interesting. I mean, I look at Guitar Center as like one of the worst jobs I ever had. But pretty much my my friend base is all from people that I met through there. Yeah, it's crazy because you you can't you can't resent that period because it gave us so many great relationships, you know. Yeah, cave dwellers. I did cave dwellers album. Yeah, I mean, fun. You know, meeting Philly. We're going to talk about Dusted Temple, but you know, meeting Philly, who uh, yeah, is another dude that's just like such a unique, special super talented person just a creative uh, juggernaut man and and i'm glad you you segued that too because that that was something i wanted to go in on before we wrap up is like you know after death of a salesman maybe not when i'm doing sammy and ogar shit because you were on that too but when i'm then after that doing my solo stuff you're linking up with philly and working on so much music it's kind of like your old days when you guys work on all this music have enough for multiple releases and don't put it out and keep making stuff until you feel like you've got something that was good enough to drop and uh yeah. your guys chemistry is is just undeniable yeah it's like hand in glove i mean there's uh i mean just the whole thing with dusted temple i remember god i think i was living with phil so i must have like, oh wow i was, forgot about that so, so that was like uh must have been right after I had quit for the 15th or 20th time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I remember I was talking with Jay. It was like me and JJ. You know, I was just like, you know what? I just want to start something that's like a collective. Maybe there's like the one main MC, which was Mets originally. So when Dust the Temple started, it was, you know, me and Free Mets. So, um, like, that's the very first song we ever did was with him. And then. So I tried building, like at, at one point, who did I have? I had uh, Julian, Big B, uh, I don't know. I, I have a picture of it somewhere, but I had actually kind of put together this whole crew, and that was like one of the first ideas for the album, and that fell apart. And then I tried something else, that fell apart, and it was me and Philly. <coughs> And yeah, we went through this process of like, uh, we'd make a batch of songs and like in The Illusionist, we're both progressing, trying to get better that we that then we sit back and we look back at the old batch going, that's not good enough. Well, it's like what you're talking yeah. about with the, the first Yob record, like when you are creating an album, 
you're probably also releasing your last album around around the same time. And that, yeah. maybe not everybody, but for people like you and I who uh, I'd say the creative part is the focus and that's the most, um, that's where we spend the majority of our time is in the the writing and woodshedding environment, you know, then that's kind of your old shit. So if you reach the end of that and the time it takes to mix it and get it done and you're halfway through the next record going, do we even need to drop this though? <laughs> right. And, you know, I also felt like Epic of Salesman is such a high benchmark, you yeah. know? Like, I felt like I had the next thing that I did had to be on par with that or, or better. Yeah. I just felt like, you know, I had something to prove. I don't know. But yeah, there's that thing of just getting better and then the the sound of it is coming together like the like with the illusionist how you know we're just putting stuff out so you get to hear our evolution but with us it's like behind closed doors so we're like all right something's happening here there's a specific vibe and then trying to focus on that so with what ended up as um habitual farce that was i think we had ditched three full albums yeah before that so just kind of going through that process of like you know finding our sound then going okay let's do like i had the idea of like i was watching a hank shockley interview and he's talking about how he had already had the sound and concepts of the first three albums when they started making the first album that's crazy so i was like i kind of want to do that vibe to where you know, like, first album, you know, we kind of have this vibe, and then, you know, like, our second album, or our, our EP, you know, Raw Sun, I'm like, I want to do something that's just positive, you know, like, something you could put on during the summer when it's sunshiny out, have people over, you could put it on, there's nothing to offend anyone. And and honestly, Dude. that that record is, I'm, I'm more about the aggressive rap shit, but I love that record, I think it really is a feel-good album. It is, and you know, and there's still some some stuff, you know, like uh, that was kind of another thing that I really didn't want in Dusted Temple, like especially on the first album. I was like, no doo doo rhymes. Don't talk about yourself and how good you know. Like, just let's like come up with an idea. So we basically the whole concept for the first album is just like at that time was like when everything was starting to take off with, you know, like, uh, social media and just the insanity of it, you know, like, so, so what, it must have been like 2016. So, you know, the elections were going on. Yeah. It's like, we were really influenced by that season of South Park season 19 when they like, um, brought in, you know, PC principal and, uh, Oh, didn't they do one with, uh, there was something about like, they did a Photoshop episode, like an Instagram episode. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, we're we're basically the the idea of the album is just like like social media, the habitual farce of it, like it's just this world of fakeness and insanity and bullshit posturing, you know. So um, it's definitely very uh, it's got a message to it, you know. Yeah. But I didn't want it to be like public enemy style militant you know like it's still 
Yeah, it doesn't feel like an immortal technique record or something. It's just more of like a, um, it, it's more from from inside of it as a participant and less as like an outside critique of it. You know. Right, and almost I, I like you know like the dark time sunshine thing where it's like yeah, like maybe lyrically it's it's darker and there's like a serious message, but musically it's lighter. That's what I always loved about Dark Time Sunshine and how the, the name makes perfect sense because oh, that's there's, true. This con- there's a contrast that happens there. So Yeah. And and it was cool with Philly too because you know, he at one point um you know, he was gonna be a youth pastor. Yeah. You know, when me and him started becoming better friends and just doing the Dusty Temple thing, you know, like he was really or had been going through this kind of finding himself again, you know, like walking away from the church and trying to find himself and then meeting me and, you know, like he, me kind of opening up his mind to a lot of things and uh, just making him think differently about what he's talking about, you know, too, like say something. Um, But with him, dude, yeah, there's just something like he knows exactly what and he doesn't it's like he does what he does but it's exactly what i want yeah so it's like dre and snoop you know like it just works um yeah i think you you guys are great together yeah i mean he's he's just he's a beast i think he's uh i think he's another thing that the reason we get along so well is he's a hermit the same way I am, you know, where people are like, why don't you put yourself out more? And it's like, you're so fucking talented, you know? And it's like, well, let's do what we do. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the only, that's the only detriment of uh dusted temple is you don't, you don't have that, uh, that attention whore person that will, uh, sell the record for you. <laughs> like I, yeah. uh, if, when you were talking about how our growth in the illusionist had been, so public and how you had learned from that and gone, well, maybe let's keep working until we arrive at that death proof moment at that reintroducing moment, you know? And, and I think sometimes about like, Oh man, what if, what if I hadn't put out sequel of me and I started on counterclockwise or what if I hadn't put out, you know, certain things that, that I have, you know, mixed feelings about and waited till the stronger record. But simultaneously what those early records did was begin to build interest in the group so like you guys came out with better material from the gate but there was like less familiarity with what you were doing right and there had been such a long period between you know me being in the illusionist i mean like like what five years or some shit yeah when did habitual farce come out 17 yeah, it must have been 17, because we did one the beginning of this, I think it was, or maybe it was last year, maybe we did the two last year. I know it was like either the end of 2017 or the beginning of 2018. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, that's, a good, that's a good four years anyway, because I think you left for the last time on, I think it was the like the day that we brought Max to town, because Abilities was headlining the Death of a Salesman release show at the end of that tour. Oh, yeah. And I think you quit that day, played the show, and then that was it. And and so that would have been, like, June of 13. So, I mean, yeah, there was a good stretch there where no one had heard a single beat from you. 
Well, yeah, I did that. Uh, I think the first thing I did was Philly was working on that solo album, Hip Hop Stand Up. That was when I first got the MPC 500. Mm. So a lot of a lot of those beats are actually like on that hip hop stand up or like me playing live MPC while Philly's just standing next to me rapping. We were like having that realization like, oh shit, like whatever we do is really, really fucking good, you know? And uh, he's a beast, man. Just like he says, it's like, I've only given him one beat that originally he's like, I'll rap over anything. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. And I sent him this beat that was like a, a, a crazy except darling Nikki from Prince. Oh yeah. I think I heard like, that. Yeah. I, I can't do that. And uh, <laughs> I've done different versions. I ended up doing one for concentrate for his album that, uh, he responded back. I think this is the best beat I've ever heard in my life. So <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, man, working with Philly has been amazing. And, uh, we, I was just thinking last night, I was like, I haven't even talked to Philly in months. Like, since, oh, we, shit. Dropped, since we dropped, like, Moon Dust was the last time where I was like, oh, it's out. And then we just kind of, you know, do our thing, you know. And then when I'm ready, or he's ready, I'll hit him up. And uh, it's crazy. Like, I'll just, you know, if I'm in creative mode, which I haven't been in for a couple months, I'll, you know, I send him everything. Or like, you know, I've been doing with, with, with you and, uh, and the same process with the illusionist. Like I like to just do my thing, pass it off and then get it back Yeah, and be, be blown away by it. And, uh, he had, you know, told me all these ideas he had for moon dust and the beats he had picked out and all this stuff. And he came up with the concept of like, well, let's continue, let's do like a, part two to the raw sun we'll do like a moon dust thing and uh yeah and then when i got it i was just so blown away because he keeps um incorporating the singing and stuff more yeah that that one has uh, a much different vibe to it yeah which is what i wanted to go for i said um i definitely wanted uh like I had been making all these beats, like I was going through this phase, I made this whole string of beats where I'm like, I want to make the new Public Enemy album. So, uh, but he, you know, he ended up picking, you know, some sort of varies, but the original batch he was going through, I thought it was going to be different to what it turned out being. But yeah, he just keeps leveling up. It's like, you know, the weird thing is, is I don't know where he gets a lot of the stuff from because he doesn't necessarily like listen to a lot of music. Like he's one of those people, huh. um, which I admire musicians like that. It's like, yeah, they don't really listen to music, but they come up with these ideas and it's like, where'd you get that from? <laughs> like, yeah, it's weird. It it's like, just be from you. It's like, like, it's like an actor that doesn't like to go to the movies. Like they don't want to pick up other people's things subconsciously, you know, whereas like you and me yeah. are, are just constantly looking for the, the next newest thing, you know, trying to soak it all in. Yeah. I'm all, I, I it's a never ending thing for me, but I think that's part of, you want to be a good beat maker, but also with that process, like being a beat maker can be tricky because you have to, you, sometimes you can get caught up in not ever listening to music. You're just listening for things in music. True. Um, yeah. But back to Dusted Temple. So yeah, kind of our idea is to maybe be stylistically different every release the way like Zion I does. Mm-hmm. 
you know, where you don't really know what you're getting. You know, it's going to be Zion Eye. It's going to be good, but it's going to be sonically different than what we did before. So, and also, um, I over the last few years have started making beats where I don't rely on samples. So, like, there was a lot of stuff where I was doing, you know, my, like, I would just open up my uh, virtual synths, you know, and then, like, just record and just sit there playing parts, you know, just kind of jam, and then I would save them and uh, then, you know, use them as samples and songs. So, like, trying to build my own stuff. Yeah, it's sort of your adventures in counterculture. Yeah, I just... I wanted to see, like, okay, what would come out of me if I'm not relying on something that's already melodically presented for me? Like, what can I come up with? So I think a lot of Moondust is like that. But, I mean, I, I play keyboards like a caveman, so you know, <laughs> yeah. not going to have any, like, expensive chords or anything. I remember I bought uh, Juno something or other when, God, I think it was around Death Proof, having grown up playing guitar and bass and not the other way around i was so unfamiliar with just the layout of a fucking keyboard i i could i just couldn't wrap my head around it and again i'm not the person to like sit down and learn the proper thing over the course of six months so i just i got rid of it (laughs) well you know the one person that really influenced me to go that route was uh dark time sunshine you know, because, like, dude, hearing angst or uh, what's the one before that, Bethel? Yeah. Like, dude, those beats are freaking amazing. They're, like, the most melodically beautiful hip-hop I've ever heard. And uh, it always just blew me away that he doesn't really sample at all. Like, he does some, but minimally, you know? Yeah. I mean, even his breaks, like, he... He records himself playing drums and stuff. So you know, it's funny. I was, I was, uh, I can't remember where I was, but uh, on tour somewhere, talking, you know, backstage with a bunch of musicians, and and they're like, "Yeah, man," and just like his his drum sound, and I was like, "Oh, well," you know, I asked him about that, and he, he told me that he plays his own drum parts, and they like laughed at me, they're like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, right, that's what he told you." And uh, I just thought that was funny. Because if you listen to the tracks, there is a lot of sonic variance between the songs. Like, it's entirely possible that that's just an answer he gives. Yeah, it's... Who fucking knows nowadays? But um, he's he's amazing. And uh, I recently got the, the instrumentals of those two albums. So it was really cool to, like, just go through and listen to his style. And it is neat, because... Um, um, it is cool to see what comes out because I've been sampling for so long, you know? Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, I just wanted to touch on if they're listening this far, then they're invested in what we do. And, um, it had spent a long time, but you and I actually started making a full length project again. Yes. Finally public about it. Uh, Yeah, you're right. I don't think we've mentioned that at all. But, no, um, I've uh, just, I had that little, like, you know, comment I left the other day on Facebook that uh, didn't really say anything. Oh, yeah. You knew it just, what I was talking about. It just looked like you were saying, die. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's why I think people are probably going to be like, oh, they're at it again. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think of that. 
Yeah. But yeah, dude, fucking finally. I mean, um, you know, I know it's been two years since we've been rebuilding and I've been trying my best to, uh, earn, earn my place again. And, uh, I'm super excited. I mean, it sucks that I lost my fucking laptop. Yeah. Um, yeah. Luckily, I, I mean, I, I still have the two tracks for all those. We just lost all the stems. So, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I still have everything cause whenever I do anything new, I would send it to JJ. So, He's always got a backup, but, uh, yeah, dude, I'm super excited because, um, you know, you've been doing your thing for so long and been doing mine and it's going to, it's awesome. I just, I'm super excited about the idea of like being apart for so long and at the same time we've bettered ourselves with our art and yeah. now we get to come back together. It's kind of both of us at the top of our game right now. Yeah. I, I think the catalyst was, you know, because when we first started talking again, it was on the end of the World Has No Idea Tour, which would have been into 2016, some apologies and some talks, and and it was like, you know, I'd love to share some of the music I'm working on, and, and I could kind of see where your head was going, and I was like, dude, I'm not ready to, like, right. start some other project and have our problems come back to us, you know, and, and I think it was just over a year ago, the 10-year anniversary of The Illusionists, and we, we did that one track, No Fucks Capacitor, and that song was just so, like, classic ill, but, like, just, it was over the top in all the best ways again, and, you know, we just brought, you know, you brought that crazy side out of me again, and I, I, I put the fuzz mic on there again, like our early shit, and, and, we, and we had that just awesome show, and it felt so good to see everybody in the group just smiling and hugging and hanging out and and you know i think that's really what cemented it and and made this whole thing possible yeah. uh, i know that that i've been in punk rock mode making this dfs album so i uh it hasn't gone as quickly as as you and i usually work but um i've got uh 12 or 14 tracks to pick from I mean, I listened to it again a couple weeks ago, and there's just there's a lot of gems in there. And the first two that I wrote to, I'm still really happy about. Um, but yeah, the die thing. It was uh, the first song was called "Demented Inventive Energy," which is very much the kind of manic mode that we get in when we're firing on all cylinders. Yeah, it's it was really crazy because once uh, you know, I got really excited once we were just kind of like, well, let's just do it and then uh that sound starts coming out of me again that it hasn't been there for a long time yeah it doesn't sound like the dusted shit at all it's like yeah which is which is awesome because uh it just shows you know there's there's something special that me and you do the same way there's something special that me and philly do it's two different things but there's such an energy when when I make beats for us, there there's an energy that I feel has to be there. It's that punk rock energy, you know. Yeah. It's like you have to feel it. That's why I like my drums, you know, like banging and like I like things to, you know, you gotta feel it. It's why I'm glad that sound came back because I like I know what you like brings the strings out again, which yeah. I haven't done for a while. And I was but, uh, I was just finishing figures of speech when we were starting it and so um 
you know, that was very much kind of the opposite of what you're talking about with Dusted in that it's, um, you know, me at my, my hungriest rapidity rap, that plus that crazy energy. Oh, yeah, and it started with that one... Um, I was making beats for figures of speech and I had this one thing that I wanted to sample, but I, I was like, I don't think I quite have the chops to, to do this. And I sent it to you and you turned it around um, in such a, I don't know. I mean, it, it, even that stands alone from the other songs we made afterward. Oh, oh, the one um, uh, sampling that one girl song. Yeah. Haley Johnson. Um, yeah. Which yeah, I, that's I, a... I haven't showed her yet cause the song's not done, but I, I want to tell her about it. But, um, that that song came out so good you get the simultaneous like energy of the figures of speech shit that i was already doing and then crazy sammy webb shit like just magnified it and that song is just i might have to reel it in when i do the final recording it was like super intense yeah it's uh it's definitely is like a lot of that i was just listening the other night a lot of those beats but yeah that's one that's definitely a standout track that that jellyfish track that i did too dude and i love I that, that beat but i feel like i feel like it's gotta end up just being like a fucking like scratch thing or an instrumental thing because it's it's the tempo it's at is such a like double time choppy thing and yeah. that's just like it's just not my forte you know it's not not in my wheelhouse yeah, I was thinking about that too. It's definitely a good in- instrumental track because it's, uh, but I love it. Like I've been wanting to chop that song for so long, that Jellyfish song. That um, yeah, I really like how it turned out. Yeah, that Haley song. Yeah, that's gonna be interesting. I can't wait to hear her reaction to how I chopped that. Yeah. Um, but that's another cool thing that I don't get to do in just a temple that we did in the illusionist is you giving me you know shit like uh here's a fiona apple song <laughs> yeah do something with this you know like hey here's this rx bandit song you know what ended up being uh oh yeah n- uh not not alone yeah like, I, I remember christoph going like wait what this is like sample like <laughs> this is crazy yeah um, i forgot about that sample yeah man i mean if you so think you, about like the origin of the group you know the first illusionist songs were from that soundtrack i gave you it's just like it's always kind of been a different thing where i can make beats and i do certain things but occasionally i'll just hear a thing and be like oh man but you know who would be good for this <laughs> yeah i love those challenges and uh but yeah dude i'm beyond excited about doing this i mean i'm just i know you got a lot of stuff going on and uh, i'm just patiently waiting um, <laughs> yeah i know i i feel like i'm 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 dragging but i you know, I got a full plate with DFS right now, so it'll it'll happen when it happens, just like when yeah. we started it, and you know, it'll come out at the right time. Yeah, I mean, let's see how many. So yeah, there's 15, 15 songs so far. Nice. Uh, that we're sitting on for that project that are all pretty good. Long time overdue, but I'm glad. Cause yeah, I mean, when we did back together too, you know, don't forget I had. Uh, 2016 was a rough year for me. I was in the yeah. hospital three three times. Just it was a weird year. I had to deal with a lot of weird stuff. I made it. The the most important thing through all of that mess, you know, even with 
everyone involved, I won't mention names, but other people that we have met through ENA, you know, like you were the most important thing out of that equation. Like I must save this. Yeah. Like <laughs> this is important, but yeah, it was a, it was a rough year and it really, uh, it was like one of those goals I had from, just the, I mean, just, you know, that year for me also being in the hospital, mental hospital three times in a year, it's going to make you slow down and it's going to make you look at yourself, <laughs> made me slow down and look at myself, how I lean on people, how people see me, how I present myself, the effect I have on people. You also learn a lot about who's really there for you. You know, yeah. like I still to this day feel bad when JJ hit me up and said, Sam really wants to talk to you. And I'm like, tell him to fuck off. He's toxic. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I, uh, I, va I vaguely remember that now that you mentioned it. I had forgotten about it, but. None of that stuff ever set right with me, you know? And there was a lot of weird stuff that happened. But, um, you know, once I settled down and I got my life back together and I moved here, it's like my main goal was to rebuild you know what we had had because i knew i had fucked up and it wasn't it wasn't you and a lot of it too like it got out of control just because of the intensity of what i was going through yeah like you know when you're experiencing dissociative disorder it's kind of hard to keep control of your life sometimes on top of the anxiety and the paranoia kicks in it's not like a the government's watching me paranoia it's more like this <laughs> emotional thing my goal was to like rebuild myself my friendships earn my way back into hopefully being in a creative place with with you again which I feel we've done that um it's been an interesting time since i've known you like you you came into my life like when i started working at guitar center was right when i was coming out of my two-year period of being a total shut-in. Like, I would leave the house to go to the store and to Rywolf's practice. Yeah. So, like, um, so, yeah, it's been interesting. But uh, I know that's another tangent, but... Well, yeah, um, man, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm glad there was a lot of, like skeptical relief <laughs> at first when we rekindled and and well, yeah. you know we were both just like well you, we'll do what we can we'll see if this uh, you know I, I feel like we we were both just kind of down to give it a shot and and hope everything came together and and you know in in what you just spoke about i mean i've seen you the most self-aware and positive and determined and really you know focused and being able to you know, catch those old triggers or those old habits as they're happening and correct. And I was just joking with Ange yesterday about that scene in Happy Gilmore where he's breaking up with his girlfriend over the intercom at his apartment. And he's like, good, who needs you? Beat it. Leave me alone. I'm sorry, baby. You know, I didn't mean that, you know. Totally and like, at first, it, at first, there was a little bit of that. And then it became like, you know, you could see shit before it came, you know, and, and then we just kind of moved past all of it, you know, and now we're just back to like 2007 and we're just friends again and it's awesome, you know. You know, it's an everyday thing for me, learning to live with what I live with, you know, and learning how to not let it 
control my life or I have everyone in my life now that I want there. You know, I've seen a lot of people leave, you know, from this shit, which I understand. But, um, dude, having to sit back, like, I had to take a hard look at myself sitting in, in, in the hospital, you know. Like, it's it's a tough thing to do, but, you know, I want to live. I want to have friends and not be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to be really good at, but yeah, dude, it's, it's been, uh, you know, I'm just trying to just earn my fucking place. I mean, especially with you, there's just been so much fucked up shit that's happened, but we've gone through it. And well, anyways, and- it kind of went for a weird turn at the end there, but, uh, yeah, dude, it's, it's awesome. I'm super stoked. I'm, you know, I'm glad that we've gone through it. Now we're working on music again. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad that we got to uh, finally do this podcast. I know we've been talking about me driving driving out to Corvallis for like two years, and it hasn't happened. So, um, yeah. you know, I think that now is maybe just the best time for it that we can have some even more distance from all that ancient shit and and just talk about it for what it was and and enjoy where we're at now. So, yeah, and I need to before we go here, I have to give a huge shout out to JJ. All right. Yeah. Because speaking of coming into my life at a weird time, he came in at just a time of fucking turmoil and has been my rock through all of it. And he's been the one that will listen to me. Like I can call him up and be, you know, at that time be like, fuck him, fuck this, fuck that, fuck that. And he'll listen. But at the same time, remind me how important the friendship was it that you know stuff like that like he's just the most positive person i've ever met like anything i do creatively is to like he's my muse like <laughs> in dust temple he does the art but he's also like the the spiritual advisor you know like the um but he's been there for me like the guy's taken me to them to the hospital picked me up with a smile you know never he was he's just like uh he's just an amazing person and um you know him and jd you know i got to meet uh jd he's one of his old friends but both of those guys you know like i've met them and uh i feel like i've known them forever it's like they're as equally as important to me as you are i probably wouldn't be here talking to you today if it wasn't for jj and also for you re- reaching out through Terrell, because we do have to give him credit for that, that I was not hearing when you would reach out to me at that time until yeah. Terrell made me listen, which I still was resisting. And then the fact that you guys kind of worked out like, oh, hey, we're going to be here at this time. You know, you should roll through and we'll just do this. You know, like that, you know, I at that time, I needed that door to be closed. And the fact that I could actually see you in person healthy again, that yeah. that's a credit to Terrell for, he's even said to me that like, he's like, you know, I, I know that um, our shit didn't work out, you know, being, meaning you and him. He's like, but it, he goes, I'm just glad to have been any part of getting you guys back together where you belonged. And I think that's great. No, he, he is huge. And, um, you know, I, I, I do love Terrell 
but we had a weird falling out, you know, and, uh, but he was a him and, him and JJ, because, like, if it wasn't for those two guys talking in my ear during that period, I would have made a really stupid life decision. Like, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now, and I'd be regretting it. Yeah. The rest of my life. If I was to only be left with hearing that DFS album and that's what it was left at, <laughs> fuck, dude. <laughs> like, you win, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, and, you know, honestly, but, I mean, I'll say d- it. Wait, so wait. hopefully he, he can hear it, but I would love to move on. Like, I, I, I miss Terrell. Um, it sucks that nothing came out of, you know, what we were working on for a while there, but, um, He's a great guy. I mean, he's the coach, dude. He's another guy that mentored both of us. Yeah. He's had more time and impact than Mikey and Max did, you know? Oh, for sure. And, uh, you know, so I, I have to give a shout out to him. And I hope he hears it. And, you know, it's kind of the same situation. I was just in a really fucked up place when all that stuff was happening and didn't necessarily have the capacity to make the right decisions and what I was saying and how I was taking things. But, uh, you know. We, we've talked a lot about growing through this shit and, and, and squashing beef. And, and you, yeah. you, you, me- you mentioned the DFS record. And, and I think, you know, when you talk about earning your spot, I think that when I first told you about that and I was terrified because we hadn't been speaking and I thought, wait, so this thing that I was going to put out that I thought he would never hear that I could just get this thing off my chest and not hurt him. And then we were back again and I was like, okay, this thing exists. I need you to hear it. And when you did, I was so just fucking plagued with anxiety about this thing and when you you heard it and you talked to me in the most like cool level-headed way where you were just like yeah that that's what we went through that was the situation you're like i i can't i can't follow you for needing to get that off your chest like that's from your perspective i see how that was true and what and what you experienced and i was like I, that that's your reaction oh my god you know and, and, for, and i was like i was like dude this is the new gabe we talked about the new gabe for years but this is the new gabe like holy shit yeah. like like i i i think i was so terrified of it because i have a thin skin and i couldn't hear something like that about myself from that moment it was just like oh this this is my dude we're we're gonna be fine <laughs> yeah and dude, honestly, like I, I, I needed, I need to hear that shit, you know? Oh yeah. Like, you said, uh, you said that you were like, yeah, honestly, I think I need, I need to know, you know, how much it affected you and, and, and shit like that. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, Oh, okay, good. I'm glad there's some therapeutic value on both sides of this because for me, I thought it was just like, okay, now that I know he's not listening to my shit anymore, I, I have to vent on this chapter before we close it and 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 the fact that you were able to not even stomach it but but also gain something from it just blew my fucking mind and 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 showed me so much so much progress and 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 just so much love and understanding on your part that's awesome that's good to hear because i've been trying i've been trying i didn't just go sit in the hospital for those that 
however, what, I think it was a month and a half combined, but yeah, like I definitely took the time to better myself, try to, it's a continuing process, you know, but yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying my best, I'm glad it's, uh, it's working. Yeah, um, man, it's just like, uh, addiction or anything else, you know, it's like, there are depression or, you know, any, those chemical things, you know, it's just like an ongoing learning process and... Yeah, dude, I appreciate you being so open on the show and and um, yeah, you know, well, this is this is know, the episode I've dreamt about. This too is a good a good place for us to maybe say some things we haven't said too, you know. Yeah. So for sure, it is kind of weird, you know, when you think about it with podcasts, and I've heard other other people say this. It's like you could be friends with someone for so long, but then when you sit down and actually have a conversation for a couple hours, you know, like you kind of get a better understanding of that person, maybe from a something you didn't know from from before but honestly yeah. in the terms of you know this arc that we're discussing here this this will be a nice little time capsule too yeah no it will be yeah thanks so much for doing the show of course of course all right that is our show if you made it this far i i appreciate you normally i would cut out some of these extra things especially what we had on at the end but he and I had so many things left to say to each other that I felt like it was important to keep all that in there and show this for what it really is. You know, it's a real heart to heart between friends. So if you like the show, there's 54 more episodes before this. Please subscribe to it. Give me a five star rating and review. Share it. Help me get the word out. And I'm going to leave you with a track from Dusted Temple off their new EP. Moon dust. Captain Slog. We have ventured into uncharted territory. We must prepare for the worst. Tell my gal back home that I love her. Kneel down and get giddy when I feel the rush A new life, son, Captain Grizzly steady The wheel and bust, deal and dust Didn't lift the ego till it fizzles up Matrix level zero, I'll be Neo once I'm in the cut Hit me with the kiss of great, I'm Simmons with the vicious tongue Face paint out the window, something that's roll for the simpletons As above, so below, don't bellow over friction plugs And with the new moon cycle, I recycle my submissive trust If you step against you, go from gilded crest to village judge Chivalrous to villainous, impervious to get in touch Diligent dithering to die, you into delirium Better than playing a you're blessing, looking for some pills and crushing Set it in the script you sign Your mission wasn't get corrupting Keeping up that image Get you filtered if you give it up The truth rings like a bell A vibrant gift to us But it's up to us to keep it alive Your soul experience Luna Nova She carries the fruits of wisdom Luna Nova Self-fulfillment within the system When nothing can holic When starlit embodiment Guiding us through the night For our pursuit ascension Luna Nova She carries the fruits of wisdom Luna Nova self within the system When nothing can holic When Starlit embodiment guiding us through the night for our pursuit of sunshine. La Luna Nova Girl, La Luna Nova Girl, La Luna Nova Girl. It's a cat's game in this rat race. Feel the dogma when I'm on one, sitting fat lace, slow running at a fast pace. La Luna Nova's a cache for vast creative pathways. I'm taking life by the masked face. 
tell it to redirect me to be the best Cause it's something I can't waste Now I, I ain't trying to be in last place But if you focus on the front line You're bound to lose your last case All of a sudden there's a valid reason for beefing You wanna take it to the grill You better bring the right seasoning We some decent men So to feed the beast within You're gonna have to agree to bring at least a release And then stop holy rolling We're all sinners Only saints I've seen lately is some Super Bowl winners And you some born quitter Pull the trigger like foreigner Trust the girl on the moon in the gut Is this delivered under Luna Nova? Yeah.